welcome to episode 101 of Sack Kings Therapy. Coming to you, uh, I guess, live after we finally decided to do this episode. This very special episode where we're finally going to actually go through some draft uh, prospects. Who will we think that the Kings are going to draft with the ninth pick? And to, first, to get this out of the way, is that what from at least from from Jason Jones, James Ham, and pretty much all the credible reports, chances are the Kings are probably going to move this pick. But we're going to go through these draft these draft prospects like that the Kings are going to draft somebody. So you know, just to kind of push out some content out there and see, and you know, give our thoughts on who we think that the Kings could use and who we think are like some of the best players in the draft or at least at, at the nine range. We're not going to anticipate them tr- trading up or trading down. We're just going to say that w- they are going to draft this person with the ninth pick because there are endless possibilities and there will be just too many to go through. So without further ado, with me to go through all of this, Fong. Hello. Okay, so we're going to go through two guys in this episode, um, Moses Moody and Zaire Williams. Uh, the reason why is because I these are the two guys I really want the Kings to be able to draft. Although I will say, just looking more and more into it, kind of wish I, you know, didn't put Zaire on here because James Booknight is kind of moving up, I guess, my board. But like, you know, well, you know, I change my mind on these things like every every day, basically every few hours. So we're just gonna go with Moses Moody and Zaire Williams uh, on this episode. So. We're going to first uh, start with Moses Moody. So Moses Moody from Arkansas. He is a 6'6 wing, two guard, um, three, four, whatever you want. He, I just call him a 6'6 wing with a seven foot wingspan. So to start, uh, first thing that stands out is that he has a smooth and pretty jumper. And he's good on both, you know, stationary spot ups, as well as actually being able to shoot off the, off the, like the move. Off the dribble is a little bit of a work in progress, but the the jumper has a great foundation to, to build off of. Yeah, for like all the news that is coming out about you know Buddy and Marvin, I think he would be, in my opinion, a pretty good replacement for Buddy. Uh, I don't know how our roster is going to be. I I feel like he's going to be playing off the bench, and we're going to play Halburn as a as a starter. Don't you think? Yeah, from all the reports, the Halliburton is starting next year, mm-hmm. no matter what. And that's like that's accounting for even if Buddy is still on the roster uh, when the start of training camp. So, yeah, probably coming off the wing or honestly, he might be able to start into the three. Although still, it's a little bit. He's a little bit small to start at the three. But honestly, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just wings. And if you're tall enough to be a wing, if you're not tall enough to be a wing, you play point guard is really how, how the uh, how the league is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I, I don't I, I don't want to put uh, Harrison Barnes in the forward too much anymore because you know he has done a lot for us in that uh, four or five spot. But man, he he's gonna break. We're gonna break him down if that's the case, in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I assume he'll be coming off the bench to back up um, uh, Barnes or whoever the three is. Uh, that's gonna be an interesting debate. But mm. 
Um, so yeah, he has a very good looking jumper, you know, gr- again, great off movement, great off the great on spot ups. He's also very good, like instinctually on offense and of where to actually be able to find the open space. There are a lot of clips where he kind of just pops out <laughs> open and yeah, it's a testament to how good he is at just finding that, you know, open space. And he likes to, you know, run off screens and run off pin down Has a good feel for that kind of stuff. Uh, has a very decent mid-range pull-up game as well. He can attack off the closeout and, like, just, you know, one dribble pull-up. His handle still isn't the greatest in the world and actually led to some pretty ugly moments and turnovers. But if he's, like, just, you know, decisive and he just pulls up, like, it's a very pretty jumper. And the percentage isn't bad. It's better than uh, James Booknight, which we'll be going over at some point. Uh, but not as good as uh, Davion Mitchell. But very decent. I think it was 38% off of like one dribble pull-ups, which, you know, it's pretty decent. And, you know, he's still a work in progress. He's one of the other things about him. He's only 19 years old. So there's plenty of improvement and plenty of potential that has not been you know, discovered just yet. Yeah. I also want to mention that he's actually pretty good at drawing fouls as well. You know, averaging about five free throws a game, I believe, with uh, 81% free throw percentage. And, you know... For us, as a you know, in as a, in the Kings, we don't draw too many fouls. We only have really, what two guys that could actually you know draw those type of fouls, which is Fox and, uh, I mean, I actually don't know who else. Probably. I guess Barnes, but like, man, that's a really bad second guy to draw fouls. <laughs> like. Yeah. So you know, having another guy draw fouls as well, which he is pretty good at. Uh, well, you know help ease the offense a little and, you know, give, give us those points. Yeah. One of the big issues with, you know, the Kings last year, we didn't go to the line much, even though we have Fox on our team and it's Fox. And then it's a big drop off for the second guy. I'm pretty sure it's Barnes as the second, like leading foul drawer. And how, one of the weaknesses with Halliburton, he does not like contact and does not draw fouls. And if it stays that way, you, you really want a guy that, you know, is able to do that. And he seems to be very smart about looking for contact and using that shoulder to, you know, draw contact. And, yeah, it, it would help the Kings in, in the scoring department and, you know, get other guys into foul trouble, screw up their lineups. You need a guy like that to be able to be a good team on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, one thing about his off the dribble game, off the dribble threes aren't really his thing yet, but there's a lot of potential there once he gets kind of more, you know, once he kind of works on it more in the off season and, you know, gets a little bit in game action as well. Like everything is there. The foundation is all there it's for him to excel at, you know, off the dribble pull ups and, you know, hopefully at one point, you no know, off the dribble threes. Mm, yeah, we would like that. Uh, also, he has an interesting post game. Like, it's not, you know, like refined where, like, he can get to a spot and do a turnaround. It's a lot of up and unders and kind of using his crazy seven foot wingspan to kind of get around guys for, like, these very creative shots, let's just say. But, like, Again, the foundation is there. He's he's a very long athlete, and he has very good footwork down there. Like a lot of up and unders, and and yeah, like he. I think with a lot of work put in, like I think he can really turn into kind of that. I don't want to use this name, but like kind of, kind of like a Chris Middleton type, which is kind of the comparison for him. Like where you know you're you know if you have a mismatch on you, you can post up down low and just shoot over. <laughs> you know, the mismatch, like, for a pretty decent shot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I kind of want to see more of his uh, shot creation as well, you know. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully if, you know, we do draft him, we'll see more of that in the NBA four because so far it's, I want to say one dimensional, but I feel like he could do a lot more within the three point line. Yeah, and of course he he's 19 years old and it's only one season in Arkansas, so like he has not even he's probably hasn't even touched like anything close to his potential. Like he'll keep improving, mm-hmm. and yeah he'll you know he he already kind of like he's already seems seemingly comfortable with like the mid range. I'm more worried about what he develops like you know outside of the three point line in terms of just being able to pull up, but I'm pretty sure he'll get there at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, again, the foundation, the, the big thing with him, the foundational pieces are all there. And mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, one of the, one of the knocks kind of on him is that he has a pretty bad shooting percentage, 42% from the field in college and 35% from three, which is okay. But he was the, the those, those percentages actually kind of uh, don't tell the story because he was their number one go-to option for Arkansas. And He's really not that guy just yet because of like, well, we'll get into it. He's not a great finisher and not a great shot creator, but like, again, the foundational pieces are there for him to fit into an NBA offense where he isn't the go-to guy. Like again, a very beautiful jump shot, you know, good, good on spot ups, both, you know, stationary and off movement. And if I think like he can slowly kind of play into his role and learn on the way on the Kings. Like you have Halliburton, you have Fox like being the primary ball handler. He can take that burn off of him and he can thrive in the Kings offense. It's like he has a, like he's not great at it and it's definitely not his thing yet, but he has shown flashes of being, you know, a decent pick and roll ball handler and that can make plays for his teammates. Again, not really his thing, and he really shouldn't be the primary guy doing that. But there's a lot of potential there, and that would be he would be a perfect fit. Like just comp- everything about him on offense, just a perfect fit. You would like to see the finishing get a little better, but like you know, a little bit of NBA like training work. Like if he if he works with Rico Hines, I'm pretty sure he'll get there. Oh yeah. Uh, as, as mentioned, not a crazy like his main weakness. Again, not a great finisher, uh, and not very not a very explosive athlete. And Sam Vecini has uh, mentioned that he's not a very quick twitch athlete, and you know that might limit his ceiling overall. And I don't know if a non twitchy athlete can become a twitchy athlete, but like I mean, all the tools are there. And a lot of it, a lot of these weaknesses, actually, I think just as soon as he gets a little extra strength in there, like he begins with like a legit NBA strength training program, like he can, I think he can become a very good finisher at least. And, you know, like if he just turns into Chris Middleton, like I'm very, I'm very happy with that or some type of player like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, uh uh, they have already mentioned that we're going to actually have a, you know, a legit full season along with, you know, training camp before the season starts. Right. So I'm pretty sure for once, you know, after all what happened with COVID, uh, we will actually have, you know, those train training programs and into that guy we uh, can utilize. That's also that also makes me very excited for what we can, we're going to see from Halliburton because he literally came in like off of college basically. Oh, Granted, yeah. they they had a bit they had a long time off, but like the fact that he just like fit in almost seamlessly 
just like without a real tra- let's be honest it wasn't a real training game it was like two weeks between him getting drafted and him playing his first game like there, there wasn't a real training camp so i'm very excited to see what halliburton does but mm-hmm. yes there there's a lot of you know finally a, a full training camp to get acclimated and get into game shape so he it should he should be like pretty ready to play on the first day most moses i mean mm-hmm. um on defense, the defensive potential, again, is all there. Great length, very good lateral quickness. Not great, but pretty good lateral quickness. And even if he gets beat, his arms are crazy long, and he can actually get some pretty nice chase-down blocks. Um, will probably be a very good a wing defender. But, like, the issue is, the, the worry right now is that he might not be able to hold up as well against, like, you know, very quick ones, like, point, you know, speedy point guards and bigger fours. Like again, I think just with NBA training, like in a few years, he'll be. I think he'll be able to handle like just anyone from one through four, and probably even smaller fives. Um, he has really active hands. Got a lot of strips actually, like with those mm-hmm. long arms and quick hands. A great team defender with good instincts on like when to help. Got a lot of those help side blocks. Again, just the foundation of him just having. You know, long, 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 long arms. He has the same wingspan as Halliburton, and it possibly even might be longer. Like, apparently he's growing, which is crazy. And, yeah, just a high IQ defender overall. And the only issue, really, with it is that he, you know, like a lot of great defenders, what they end up doing is that they help a little bit too much, which has actually led to his man being open for three a little too too often. But, you know, with the right coaching, um, which... I don't know about the Kings, but like, <laughs> I think, I think if, if once he gets kind of in the rhythm of like, kind of once he gets a, a better feel about when to help and when not to help, those things will kind of iron itself out. Yeah. But you know, his main, you know, thing about him is being a, that free and D player and mostly on the D because, you know, Kings, but for us as Kings fans, we see a lot of, uh, our defense just falling apart most of the time and being him being a wait you know a high iq help defender we really do need that uh due to you know oh man do you remember all those plays that we just gave up just because one guy just leaves a guy and no one is able to help uh the guy drive into the rim I mean, I get the idea of it i just don't think moses will help right off the bat i mean halliburton helped like a lot but like mm-hmm. you, you can see how he only was able to do so much. Like, I, I just think like, I mean, granted, with Halliburton and him on the roster, I think, I think it could plug up a lot of holes. But I just don't expect a rookie to be like, especially not good on defense usually, because like NBA defenses, especially nowadays, it's very complex and you, it's very tricky to figure out when to help and when not to help. And I do think he'll get there if he's drafted by the Kings. But, like, I just don't think his first year is going to be a crazy effect. But, like, I mean, I'm just – the NBA, like, with the way it's going, you can just never have too many wings with long arms. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you just you just need wings. And you just – and you can just figure out and figure out, like, the defensive, like, pl- game plan later. But you need the – you need, like, the tools. The players mm-hmm. to be able to do it and moses will be great for this oh yeah okay um as, as i'm as i mentioned earlier he was like i don't want to say exposed in the uh, tournament uh, i think i think it was the ncaa tournament i don't remember but 
Like he was, he was a bit exposed. Again, he's not, he's not built to be a primary uh, number one score just yet. And unfortunately, he had a, he struggled a lot during the tournament. But again, as a prime, as a secondary or third option, or hell, even a fourth option, that, that's a great role for him. And if if he's drafted by the Kings, like he can slowly grow into that role behind Barnes, behind uh, Halliburton, and behind. Uh, Fox and help behind like Buddy if he stays and you know Marvin if he stays as well like (laughs) you know he he can he can kind of grow into his role and I think you can still get wins that way as well I I don't think he needs to sacrifice wins for his development either. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, anything else you want to say about Moses? Mm. Uh, Other than you know uh, between the two that were. talking about today uh so far from what i've read and seen uh he's one of the only uh few players that we actually interviewed uh by the kings but uh there hasn't been a mention that he had a workout with us yet so so far yeah i mean uh we are interested in him and uh hopefully uh you have you also did mention that there's a possibility that he might not drop you know in our favor and he might get drafted early, but you know, if we do draft him, I, I, I wouldn't be mad about that. Yeah. I forgot to, me- yeah, I forgot to mention it, but like just for just watching him play and the fact that like, apparently the draft combine measures him even taller and possibly even longer arms. It's, it's so hard for me to see him drop to nine anymore, just because I mean, he's, for, he's 19 and like, you can just talk yourself into the potential of what he can be in. It's all. I think it's almost impossible for him to drop to nine, right? But I mean, this is a very talented class, and I don't think he's gonna like go top six. But like last year, Patrick Williams went fourth, and like that was like my the guy that I wanted, you know, before I did any research on Tyrese. But like, it's gonna be tough. Like if he's there, I mean, take him. If we're still keeping the pick, like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's endless amounts of potential and he's already really good at specific things that would be helpful on an NBA offense. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll never know until the draft happens and, you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. All right. Let's uh, get to Zaire Williams now, uh, our second guy. Um, so before we actually get into our analysis of him, uh, we got to actually kind of put a bit, I guess, some caveats to what we're going to say about him, uh, because he had a very, let's just say strange season in college. Uh, Fong, take us through it. All right. So, you know, due to COVID, of course, uh, Stanford had this procedure where, you know, players had to stay at the hotels and, they really only could be able to train and play games like that way a set mile radius their home games by the way so yeah you you know due to covid he had to you know abide to the covid protocols of course and uh, he had a unusual knee injury during a bicycle accident uh that you know forced him in a brace that you know pretty much handicapped him from playing i believe the first uh i think 12 games pretty much so that's already a third of his season gone and uh coming back he he was kind of slow to you know get back to speed you know after coming back from that injury uh other than that you know he also had dealt with some personal losses as well due to covid and you know it just uh took a big toll on his shoulders you know uh in 
you know, general uh, when it came to coming back in uh, shape and playing basketball. So with those kind, with those things in mind, so I'm going to list out some of his stats and they're not good. <laughs> it's, but you have to take in a, yeah, into consideration just the weird, weird year that he had. And yeah, so let, let's first kind of go through some good. So my main thing with him is that he's a, he's got a lot of potential on offense, you know, six, eight with a six eleven wingspan, you know, a very tall wing, you know, the wingspan is very impressive, but I think he actually measured even like even longer at the combine and watching a hoop intellects breakdown of him. He is basically going to be the ultimate boomer bust um, player in this draft. And I, from what I've seen, the clips of him, I love it because he so let, let, let's get started. His his offense, he has a really, really nice looking pull up with, you know, nice footwork um, that apparently was built from him playing soccer at a young age. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of guys like Jokic and how Luca, uh, the best example is like they play a lot of uh, soccer and it really helps like their creativity and like just a lot of their footwork. And it shows uh, with Zaire. Yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, he's a very fluid mover and very explosive, along with, you know, having that fast switch and hip mobility in the court. And, you know, and now that we keep on talking about his, uh, you know, mobility, it would really fit our King's offense, wouldn't you think? Yeah, um, basically, you know, Luke Wong's offense is most, it's basically five out with, you know, a screener that basically screens for a ball handler and then they try to score. Like, I think Zaire would probably fit right in, but we'll get into why he might have some trouble. But, you know, he, one thing he really showed in college, uh, although in, you know, in flashes, again, you have to take into factor work, looking at him with rosy, like rose color sunglasses to say the least. There's, again, there's a lot of potential with him. But if, you know, if you're asking about like, oh, is this what he's going to do? We don't know. And, you know, we're going to just be on the optimistic side. But, you know, he's a very shifty player in that, you know, he's very good at changing speeds, you know, as you mentioned, explosive and, you know, very like zero to 100 type player. And that's and like he be he probably if he hits. Like he'd be very good running in the Kings offense, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, another thing is that he's very, he has a very good handle, especially for someone like that's that tall. And yeah, he's very good at creating space with, you know, step backs. And because he's six, eight with pretty long arms, he can just shoot over, shoot over a lot of guys. And we'll, we'll see like how other teams guard him. They're probably going to guard him with a wing. But we'll see. In college, he did a he did a very good job at just creating just enough space to shoot over guys. Um, has a very nice looking three pointer with overall good mechanics. However, as we mentioned, he shot very poorly in college. Thirty and let me I just had it. Damn it, Where did I put it. Oh, so he shot thirty eight percent from the field and thirty percent from three. Not good numbers, but again, it's kind of. It's you have to take into into factor like he just never really had like consist consistency on the court, you know, with his personal situation and also like the weird situation with Stanford as a whole. 
Um, what one weird thing with him? Apparently, he shot better off the dribble as opposed to catch and shoot. Not the greatest sign in the world. Probably like means they're they're not like pure shooters, but he has a very good uh, free throw percentage at seventy nine percent. So I'm gonna probably trust in that. And yeah, he can run the pick and roll very nicely. Uh, for pull ups and mid ranges. Um, very good feel. In terms of like hitting the roll man on the pick and roll, really like got a really nice little pocket pass, and also you know unselfish and a willing passer. Mm, yeah, along with uh, you know the willing passer, his um, IQ and accuracy when it comes to like you said ball handling still needs to work, uh, some work. Uh, you know I saw uh, a stat I believe it was from. I, I think it was the Hornets SB Nation page saying that he did have four games with six or more turnovers, which, you know, I mean, it's college. Of course, you're going to chuck a lot more shots, but eh, I hope uh, if when it comes to the NBA, uh, it'll convert differently. And, you know, you don't want, you know, too many missed shots from him at all. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that I was actually going to get to this, you know, he averaged a high amount of turnovers, 2.9 turnovers per game, which is pretty, pretty high, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are losing the ball on the try. It's not cause like he makes bad reads or something like that, but it, it, a lot of it is like he drives like in, you know, into contact and is just too skinny <laughs> to handle any form of contact and just ends up losing the ball a lot. And my main thing with him, the why, one of the reasons why I love him so much is that because of the weird year, because of just how, like, how, I guess, chaotic the entire situation was, he never really was able to, I guess, put, basically put his time in the weight room. And I believe that if he can just train, like, get, you know, an NBA trainer and, you know, an NBA, um, nutrition program he and add a little bit of muscle and just strength like that fixes a lot of his issues so i'm not too worried about like you know him continuing to average a lot of turnovers i think as soon as he kind of just gets a little bit more meat in his bones let's just say like he i think it fixes a lot of his issues Mm -hmm. yeah like you said he's not really the strongest finisher or even the strongest player in general I believe uh, he weighs at like what 185, I believe at uh... 185 on ESPN, yes. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's talk about his defense. Uh, you know, his defense, he could guard the one to three positions, and you know, maybe if he uh, gained a little weight and made more strength, he could potentially guard the four. We'll have to see about that. But overall, you know, he's a great team defender, good at help positioning good at rotations and you know he also takes charges and uh you know that that'd be pretty nice to have you know uh go, going back to his weight he's the same listed weight as Tyrese who's six five so <laughs> that shows you just how skinny he is so yes he, he's gonna need to add a little bit more weight and uh but again a lot of the tools are there and I think just gaining that little bit of weight fixes so many of his issues and yeah, talking about defense, like it's kind of the same thing uh, that that he has on offense. Great feel, kind of just like you know, a high IQ player basically. And again, the the issue is he kind kind of got ragdolled a lot by you know re- guys who are just remotely muscular, 
because 185 at 6'8 is really unbelievably skinny. Like LeBron James is a good hundred pound, almost a hundred pounds heavier than him. Oh. Right. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a problem. As I think, especially in his first year, like you know, it, yeah. I just think if he can just add a little bit of strength, get to around 200, 210, 220, I think he'd be a very good issue, a very good player. And again, fixes a lot of it, the issues that he has right now. And mm-hmm. uh, but the foundational pieces are there, and like the the feel stuff is so hard to teach to a lot of players. And he and from what I've seen, he has good feel on offense and defense. So that in itself, just I think, is just a, a great foundation to build off of. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned about building off of. Um, I don't know if uh, we'll have enough time for him to, you know, build that type of project in our team because we, I, I feel like we want to win now. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It, but like. You know, he is, I think, like, the Kings just need to take a swing on someone. And if they're going to take a swing, like, for a really good player, although I'm not I'm not sure, like, what the ceiling of Zaire is. Like, I've, this is the guy I kind of I kind of want to take a chance on. If, like, Moses Moody is off the board, if James Booknight is off the board, and you're left with, like, a Franz, uh, Franz Wagner, I think. That's how you say his name. If you're left with Alfred Singoon uh, and say a Corey Kispert, even like I kind of want the Kings to take a swing on a, you know, some guy if he hits is going to like, I guess, be an amazing player. I think he is kind of the Jane McDaniels of, of this of this draft, you know, a long wingy defender that like has a few issues that are, you know, could be listed as red flags but has a lot of potential and the foundational pieces are there. You know, 6'8", 6'11", wingspan, good feel for the game, you know, can create his own shot. And I just think there's just, I can't get over the fact, like, when I watch him, it's just, he just looks nice. Like, he just, he's a ball player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't be mad if we got him if, uh, you know, those players weren't on the board as well. Yeah, nine is a little too high for him in, in reality. But like again, if the Kings are gonna take a swing, like I would take him. Um, you know, again, the the Kings probably aren't in the business of really developing. And honestly, more than likely they trade this pick before they trade before they get Zaire. But honestly, it's not the worst idea to trade back from either. He's probably in the mid teens, you know, overall. But like. Again, I'm interested to see what the Kings do with this pick. Like Moses Moody, like I think overall just a much lower risk and possibly the same kind of ceiling as Zaire. But it's hard to project these things. But and I just feel a lot of the things that Zaire has is hard to teach. Mm. And yeah, um, both of these guys are great choices if the Kings do plan to keep this ninth pick uh, Zaire is more of a trade back but you know get him at the ninth pick if it's you know him that much we'll see what Monty th- like like thinks I mean he likes guys with long arms and Zaire has some <laughs> has pretty long arms and kind of fits that build as a wingy as a wing guy that you know can be very versatile so we'll see what the Kings do with that ninth pick um 
I guess, uh, you know, you don't really follow, like, news reports as closely as I do. What is your feeling, I guess, of what the Kings will do in terms of trading or actually using this pick? Mm, that's, it's tough to say. I don't know what we could trade uh, this ninth pick for in terms of what to build for, you know, our team to become a playoff-ready team. But if... I would say I, I would want to take the risk and use this pick, in my opinion, to draft someone. You know, if Monty can somehow work his magic and kind of get some sort of upgrade without this pick, like that'd be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, like, you know, it, it sucks that kind of like a lot of things that Monty, I guess... He's still paying kind of for the sins of Vlade in a way. You know, I, I don't mean to trash Vlade like this, but like he, we don't Kings don't really have assets to trade. And the main asset that you have is, you know, this pick. And depending on how you view Harrison Barnes, like he's the other asset. But I don't want to give up Barnes. And yeah, and I mean, you're the only two, I, I guess, assets that you want to trade are Marvin and Buddy. And these guys are arguably negative value Asset. So I think if a big move is to be made, I think the pick has to be involved. So my two cents about it is just I think this pick is gone. Hmm. I see. Yeah, we'll have to see what money comes up with, and you know, let's hope it's uh for better or worse. Okay. Well, that's gonna be it for our draft portion. We're gonna move a little bit into Kings news and and uh, NBA news in general. And unfortunately, we're gonna have to start with some pretty negative news. Now, over the weekend, uh, Marvin was caught liking a tweet that basically. So the the context of the tweet is that. Um, basically they were talking about the 2018 draft and how good that draft is. You know, you got, you got, uh, DeAndre Aiden, the number one pick, like shooting 80% in the playoffs, being a beast, uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Back, uh, and then you have Trey Young, who's, you know, you know, killed the, killed the Knicks, killed the Sixers and is, you know, in a dogfight um, at the time was basically on the verge of possibly beating the Milwaukee Bucks. And and then you have Luka Doncic, who's going to be probably the best player in the league at some point. And then you have Marvin Bagley right there. And then you have Jaron Jackson Jr., who's who was a very useful player. Um, on a on you know a lower tier playoff team, and then yeah, Marvin basically there was a reply that basically mentioned you know say said that um uh, that we needed to get Marvin Bagley out of Sacramento, and that that is the tweet that Marvin liked, and it kind of set off a firestorm on King's Twitter, and on terms of the national media, like honestly, it didn't get that much traction at all, but. That's basically the background of it. And I guess I want to get your thoughts on it. But like before, you know, you give out like all your thoughts, I want to ask you just like a question about, okay. you know, the tweet. So um, there, there's two sides to me in in this situation. And part part of it, like I want to give Marvin the benefit of the doubt. Like, is he like, I don't think he's blaming Sacramento for, you know, I guess for how he's perceived around the league, I think it's more of him, him liking the tweet is more about, you know, 
like tr- ev- everyone's just playing so well in the playoffs. Again, the the five guys that I mentioned and Jaron Jackson to a certain degree, although he's not really in that tier, but like the the three, you know, Luca, Aiden, and uh, Trey. Like he he's seeing these guys just dominate right now, just having you know so much fun, getting so much traction uh, in the playoffs, and he probably wants to be in that spot too. So I guess my question is. Is do you think it's more for uh like it's more of him wanting to be the playoffs and prove like to the world that Marvin Bagley is in the same tier as those guys, or do you think he's trying to blame Sacramento for how for the perception that he's nowhere near in the tier of those guys? Now, I could see him saying that you know he. I mean, of course, he wants anyone would want to be in the playoffs to potentially win a ring, but. All in all, one he haven't played one whole full season. Thus, like he hasn't even played more than what? What's the most games has he ever played? Off the top of my head, I want to say sixty-two, which was his uh, rookie season. Mm, I mean, he has to be healthy to in order to uh, for him to you know prove himself and. With uh, the situations we have with the Kings right now, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's it just uh, gives a little sour taste in my mouth from what we've heard from Marvin this over this weekend. So d- overall, I guess, like, do you think he's trying to blame Sacramento for his um uh, for his shortcomings? I wouldn't say he would. Uh, like he's blaming Sacramento. I'm pretty sure he he was, you know. The players here, and he probably—I don't know about the city and whatnot—but I think it's more like he just wants out, and he wants to win now. But in order for him to do that, we one we can't really trade him due to his trade value being so low, and two he hasn't been healthy enough to prove himself to be. Uh, that caliber of a player. Yeah. So, yeah, my my overall thoughts is like, so I mean, I was actually gonna come out here and kind of defend him, like he was get, like maybe he just wants to be like kind of like Trey, like go for fifty in the playoffs. Like he thinks he has that talent to be able to do it. He thinks he has the ability, and you know, as a as a ball player, you need that kind of mentality. And if you're in the NBA, you gotta think that you're good enough to like be able to make a difference unfortunately that is very far from the truth like if marvin was let's just say marvin was on was on the hawks let's just say for whatever reason somehow like he wouldn't be playing (laughs) like i don't think he'd be playing a like to illustrate how bad i think he like, I guess how far down the line he is. I don't think he'd be playing above Onyeka Okongwu, much less, you know, uh, Clint Capella and Gilin, Di, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari. Mm-hmm. Like, he, the issues with him is that, you know, his offense, it, you know, it's very intriguing. But, like, overall, he's a negative. And then that's the, that's before all that stuff before it, you even get to his defense. His overall offense is very reliant on kind of ball stopping, kind of mid post post ups, and he's not good enough to be able to demand those just yet. And I get the frustration, but he has to understand the reality of the situation. There's a reason why you're not getting the minutes that you're that you think you deserve. 
You just the the Kings overall were a better team with him off the floor. And like, you know, me and me and you both were kind of complaining like during the season, like, you know, in the fourth quarter, why does why can't Luke kind of squeeze some minutes for him on the fourth? Well, the reality is that the Kings' best lineups don't well, is it the best fourth quarter lineup is simply, you know, is not with him. Mm-hmm. And you know, overall, I think I forgot the I forgot the exact stats, but his his shooting percentage I think was like thirty percent or thirty or forty percent in in the fourth quarter and like twenty percent from three. So you look at these stats, and you know it, it's hard to make a case to pl- ever just. It's a, hard to make a case for him th- to like be able to, you know, be a positive impact player. And for him to be able to, you know, affect the game and like make him worthwhile to actually play in pressure situations. And, you know, he, I wish he would have a different mentality, or like a mentality that's more suited to say, you know what, I'm just going to make the most out of my opportunities instead of going like, I deserve these opportunities. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, well, you know, if we do trade him, I wish... For, uh, him the best and you know I'll still support him I mean as I supported all the former Kings players but yeah it, it's go- I think it's gone a little too long enough uh, for uh, him to say such things and the thing and the thing with it is it's like you know the, Sacramento still loves him and well I think it's waning unfortunately the love <laughs> but like you know, he on the uh, I think it's called the Halfway Decent podcast was the podcast he was on with his trainer, uh, I think uh, Earl Earl Ramsey, I think is his name. And basically, he just Marvin just on the pod just kind of went on a lambasting, kind of like unloading all these condescending comments uh, on the fans. The fans are like, you know, criticizing him and you know, saying mean things about him. I I. I'm pretty sure like that comes from Marvin reading a lot of tweets, spending way too much time on Twitter. Twitter is not a good representation of the fan base. This fan base for the most part still believes in you. You know, mm-hmm. like it's too bad the fans I guess weren't in arenas, although some games I think it's better off they weren't in the arena <laughs> just because <laughs> some of the games were bad, but mo- most of the fan base still I think likes Marvin Bagley, at least, you know, from from the people I've talked to, like they still kind of believe in them, and you know, th- getting too sucked into Twitter is not good for your mental health. And he's got to understand, like he's got to understand, Twitter is just not a good representation of like you know the general Sacramento fan base or any fan base or the general population in general. And he needs to tune that shit out. I just think overall, like. His way of seeing things is just, you know, I'm, I hate, I'm hate to sound this condescending. I think he's just very misguided in his beliefs. Like you have, you don't, you don't deserve, and you don't deserve any minutes. You have to earn them. Like the, your biggest accomplishment up to this point in your career is being the number two pick in the 2018 draft. Like what the <laughs> fuck, what the fuck are you, like who the fuck are you to be demanding that you play in the fourth? 
Like, you haven't improved much on defense. Like, there's been, you know, minor improvements, but it's not to the point where it's making a difference. And that's the reason why you're not playing in the fourth. You, you don't contribute enough on offense, and your defense is atrocious. And he needs to understand that. And, I'm, and you know, just if, if his circle is like Earl Ramsey, because, like, Earl Ramsey was kind of hyping him up and just kind of, you know, just, you know, hyping him up and just not really holding his feet to the fire in that interview. Like I'm, you need to surround yourself with better people that actually get, you know, get like able to sit you down and say, look, Marvin, like I, I get that you think that, you know, you have all the talent in the world and you do, but here's what you need to work on. And you need to, and sh- you need to make the most of your opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope, uh, like players from the Sacramento Kings have talked to him uh, about this uh, topic and, uh, you know, hopefully get some sense in him. But so far, I don't know. Uh, We're not, yeah, I just don't know anymore. And also, like, I I think it was Richard Jefferson who said this, but it, some, someone said this, someone said this and basically said, Look, you're if you get traded to another city, they're not gonna love you like Sacramento, hmm. because you're gonna get you're gonna get traded to say Indiana or or for God forbid Philly, they have no investment in you. You're gonna be you know a mercenary who was prob- probably gonna be there for one year and then afterwards they maybe sign you to at best a mid level exception. So the team and the fan base will have no investment in you whatsoever. And they're just going to, and they're just going to see you as a mercenary. If you get out of SAC, like SAC has like loved you and just supported you for the most of the fan base has supported you from day one. And, you know, we, even though, you know, most of us acknowledge that you were not the right pick at number two, we were still rooting for you to do better. Uh, D'Lo and Casey played the Tyra Banks clip. <laughs> you ever seen the Tyra Banks clip where she just flips out? We believed in you. We were cheering <laughs> for you. Yeah, that 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 clip <laughs> that clip had me dying. <laughs> like we 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 cheer for you. We supported you. We backed you. And like you're gonna treat us like you're gonna treat us like this back. You're you're gonna if you do get traded, you're gonna be hit with a hard reality check that ain't no city gonna love you like Sack, ain't no city gonna love you like Sack did. You know we'll we'll still many of us will still cheer for you, but oh man, like it's like if you don't get your act straight, there is a possibility in about three years you're out of the league. You don't yeah. get your shit straight. Man, yeah, that's that's gonna be a. Uh sad day when it does come but you know like i said i hope for i hope him the best wherever he goes whether he stays or not i hope that he continues not to think this way and hopefully you know somehow get better (laughs) he just needs to get better and you know like don't get it twisted though you are still a good player. You, like you have a lot of potential, and I imagine some team is willing to take a chance on him. Granted, on a very low price, like meaning that Sack will probably get very little back. But there, there is still potential there to be had. And you know, it 
it the, the sad the sad thing is it's nobody's fault that you know he's not living up to expectations it's i don't think it's sacramento's fault like sacramento like you, the one thing you can blame them is like their culture just isn't like the best i mean they've enabled him a little too much from like honestly and maybe you can like point to that but the reality is it's mainly injuries that's holding him back like that is the thing that sucks it's not his fault that he is injured like you know most of his injuries are you know weird one kind of weird freak accident like hand injuries a foot injury like there's nothing kind of like like there's no red flags with his injuries other than the fact that he's kind of frail other than that but like it's not anybody's fault that he's not performed up to you know it's not his fault it's not the king's fault like again we as a fan base and the organization have supported you from day one Mm -hmm. you just have to find a way to stay healthy and if you can stay healthy i'm pretty sure you'll get your opportunities and if you know if you get the right people around you tell like who are holding you accountable i'm pretty sure you can get there Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts if we do, you know, keep him? Would uh, would you be glad or would you hope that he somehow improves for the next season? I think he can improve for the next season. Ultimately, I this is the other thing about this. This doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, accomplishes nothing because, I mean, the Kings are probably trying to trade him. Like, like, let's not get it twisted. Like, they want to clear cap space to re-sign Rashawn, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the ways to do it is either to trade him or Buddy. Like, we, it, I'm pretty sure the Kings, like, you know, are trying to find a package for him out there. And him, be, you know, just, like, being this passive-aggressive, just liking random tweets on Twitter doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't increase your value. If anything, it's somehow made your value even worse, even though you had no trade value anyways. <laughs> like it's, it, this ultimately accomplishes nothing. And with him just kind of trashing fans on that podcast, I personally have not listened, listened to it. I've only really listened to it through the lens of a uh, and Casey and do some Mo. Like you ragging on fans it just makes you look like an ass. Mm-hmm. That's all it does. Like it's not making you look good. It's not making the it. It's not. It's not hurting the Kings really. <laughs> like, you know, the Kings' reputation is kind of in the dirt, anyways. But like, doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hopefully, Marvin gets his act straight. And just yeah, figure it figure it out. You are a talented player, but there is a very dark timeline if you if you just keep getting injured and you keep surrounding yourself with the wrong people who are not holding you accountable. Like you're you're you know go you're heading down a dangerous danger a path that is dangerously close to Darko Milicic. And I hate I hate that comparison, but it's looking like that right now. Oh boy. Well, let's hope that's not the case but yeah we'll have to see okay well from that somber note let's go to something a little bit more positive let's talk about Halliburton oh yeah so uh Halliburton uh was is on the uh, team or in the select USA team you know I, I hate to say it this way it's basically like the practice dummies for the uh, actual team USA to basically play against it for them to practice um, but on the on the select team, 
you know, the coaching staff has been very um, complimentary of him. Uh, Mark Few, uh, assistant coach on the Team USA, um, and uh, the Spurs' uh, forward, Kel- Kelvin Johnson, Keldin Johnson, sorry. Uh, they were praising ha- uh, Halliburton's uh, leadership and his feel on the court. He was getting guys organized and, you know, just r- kind of getting basically being a vocal leader and like kind of basically settling everyone down, kind of running, running the team. It's a lot of very encouraging signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a positive thing to, to come out. Of. And, you know, he's one of the players that I look more forward to each and every season or well. After he was drafted, he's the player that I look uh, forward to seeing how much he uh, improves for next season. And, you know, him being uh, or going to be in the starting lineup, I really I really have high hopes for us for uh, making at least, you know, seventh, eighth seed, I believe. Um, that I mean, that's the plan, right? Like he he mm-hmm. is going to start. And the the issue is like if we keep Buddy, is is Buddy gonna start at the three? Is the real question at this oh, point. Boy. And it's I mean it's it's an interesting thing. I'm I'm I mean I'm really looking forward to next season with him with a you know an actual training camp, and like him growing more as a leader. I I mean I hate to like you know say it, but like Fox just doesn't seem to be that vocal leader. Like he can be in spots, but it's really not his personality. And Halliburton. Like, you know, even in his rookie season was showing signs of that being that vocal leader and going into a second season, he's going to have even more like of a more a stronger voice in the locker room. And I think guys will actually listen to him. And I'm really looking forward to like, you know, him him in his second season because he showed a lot like in that stretch where De'Aaron was gone, being that lead guard to settle everyone down kind of getting everyone organized and getting guys good shots like down the stretch during those games. Like I'm very looking forward to what Halliburton looks like, you know, mm-hmm. and going into next season. Oh yeah. Uh, also he's on a off season weight uh, lifting schedule. So that's a good thing because that was my main critique of him. He, he is just same you know we just talked about zaire williams he is ridiculously skinny and i thought he was going to be barbecue chicken for like a lot of forwards in the league it wasn't that big of an issue but like yeah going forward he's going to need to bulk up and hopefully you know he comes back with a little extra muscle Uh uh-huh hey damn he's more defense then huh yeah we're gonna need that (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, I'm really rooting for, you know, for us to get Ben Simmons somehow. It's looking more and more bleak by the day. But if you even get, like, Ben Simmons and, like, still keep Halliburton and Fox, I think that, like, having having a guy like Ben Simmons be the defensive anchor, and I think Tyrese, like, his on-ball defense, we'll have to see, but, like, him as a help defender is already really good. And, like, when, when you can have, you know... um Ben Simmons anchor the defense, you can now have De'Aaron, like, effectively pick his spots on defense. Like, we are, I feel like we are a piece away from being a competent defense. And if you can get Ben Simmons, hell, he can, you know, he can jumpstart us to a good defense. Mm. Yeah, if only, you know. Of course, that is a pipe dream. But I think, like, if you just add, like, a Moses Moody or a Zaire Williams, even, like, I think you can, I think you can build a pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have to we have to get that anchor, and I, I don't know where to get that. If you can get your hands on Scotty Barnes, that's that's an answer in the draft. Like that'd be amazing. Uh, we shall see what happens in the draft, but the pieces are there. You just have to find a way to add another, add like just one more really good player, and I think you know the Kings are on their way. Mm-hmm. Yep, crossing my fingers that Monty makes stuff happen. Uh. One one more piece of uh, kind of smaller news. Marcus Bagley, uh, Marvin's brother, has um, undeclared from the draft, withdraw, withdrew from the draft. Uh, Sheldon Sheldon High uh, star <laughs> uh, Marcus Bagley. Um, yeah, he was supposed to be, I think, around, I think he was projected to be a low first round and like maybe an early second round pick, but either he just wasn't happy about his positioning or maybe he just wants to go back to college. I, I don't know, but he has withdrawn from the draft. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's his choice, I guess, but would, <laughs> would you be surprised if somehow the Kings drafted him for some odd reason? I mean, I don't know much about his game. He's like, I think he, he's not very tall. If I remember right, I think he's like six, two. Mm, I think he's taller than that. Is he? He probably he might be. Um, yeah, I might be wrong, but I don't know. He, I mean, a second round second round picks are you know so all over the place. I've never really looked into him to be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, oh. six eight. Sorry. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that ain't, that ain't short. <laughs> why, yeah. Why did I think six two? Some reason I thought six two. I don't know why. But I mean, there is a couple guards in the draft there. Uh, 6'2", I, I already forgot their names. Like, I'm, like, I like Davion Mitchell. I'm, I'm just, I just don't want another small guard. Like, like, we're, we're a small-ass team to begin with, and I, like, Davion Mitchell's a great defender. He was, I think he was college, I think he was, like, NCAA Defensive Player of the Year or something like that. I just want a wing defender, man. We need wings. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering, Davion is Donovan Mitchell's brother, if you're wondering. Mm. He, he's going to become, he actually, he, he looks so similar. <laughs> he looks so similar to him, too, and kind of plays the same way. A little bit more defensive oriented. I like Davion Mitchell. I just don't want the Kings to draft him. Yeah, I mean, we already have enough guards. And I mean, in the past, we had enough centers. But now, yeah, we do need the size. Anyways, all right. So, uh, moving on to I guess news. This is old news. I this is actually notes from quite like a I think a week week or even two weeks before. But because I was meaning to do an episode, but uh, we settled on just doing a special 100 episode for you know uh, game six of the 2002 Western Conference Finals. So this unfortunately got pushed back to now. Um, so I do want to just talk a little bit about Jason Kidd being hired by the Mavs and Chauncey Billups being hired by the Blazers. Now, first first thing I want to talk about Mavs, just talk about like a fall from grace in terms of just like organiz- as an organization. Like just about like a few months ago, like the the Mavericks were being looked at as like this next team up type thing. Like they're the team of the future. Then all of a sudden it just completely falls apart. Don Nelson resigns, Rick Carlisle resigns. And all of a sudden we found out that they had a shadow GM, a guy named Bob Volgaris, which doesn't that sound like an evil, evil name? 
<laughs> Vulgaris. And, a, yeah. and apparently is this kind of arrogant, like, gambling gambler, a professional gambling asshole, basically, who no one likes, who apparently Mark Cuban likes because Mark Cuban is also an asshole. So, <laughs> you know, it's just like a fall from grace. Then all of a sudden they hire oh, just they hire Jason Kidd. And I'm not going to get too deep into it. Like, you know, he was he, he was accused of domestic violence a long time ago. And, you know, that has he's never I'm, I don't know if he's atoned for that or apologized for that. But my main thing with him is that I always thought he was just a terrible coach. Like there. <laughs> he, so the Bucks went from, you know, a round one seven game loss to the to the Celtics without Kyrie that year. They they basically lost to Terry Rozier that year was how bad they were, I guess. <laughs> And they switch coaches to Boonhoser. Mind you, is not a good coach, by the way, <laughs> but a, a, an average coach. All of a sudden, become become ba- arguably the best team in the league behind the Warriors and, and the Rockets at, at the time. Mm-hmm. So my main thing with Jason Kidd, he's, he is a terrible coach. Now, granted, it has been a few years. He might have improved. And, but then you also have to add to the fact that he's kind of a dirtbag behind, like, as a person. He was on the on the jump like trying to petition for Luke Walton's job who was coaching the Lakers at the time and apparently that was a big no-no and he kind of got like kind of got blacklisted for a little bit so basically what I'm trying to say is that Jason Kidd probably a bad coach from at least you know from if you just judge his resume and then also a pretty big scumbag like behind the scenes as a person and then you and then you add the domestic violence stuff it's like Man, what the fuck, Mavericks? Now, between, you know, both the Mavericks and Blazers, uh, I felt like it was a little too quick to find uh, both of these coaches. I I mean, in a way, I think they should have uh, taken, like, more time to interview uh, maybe other potential coaches out in the league. And, yeah, it just felt rushed in a way. I know the off season's coming up. I mean, their off season's already here uh, for both teams, but I felt I feel like they could have uh, both teams could have gotten someone better. Okay, so I'm gonna so someone so Greg Weisserman, a very prominent uh, Kings uh, figure on Kings Twitter, um, published an article basically comparing the Mavs to the Kings, like oh. full Kings. So uh-huh. here, here here's what he says. So, you know, a, a Kang's organization does has a number of characteristics that basically kind of lead to chaos and just unrest within the organization. So wh- th- here's some of the characteristics that the Mavs are displaying right now that may lead them down the path of Kang's. So have an analytics-centric outsider disrupt basketball uh, operations. I don't know if the Kings ever did that because I don't think Vivek or Vivek and Vladi ever believed in analytics. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> but drove away successful lifelong basketball people. So they drove away Rick Carlisle and Don Nelson. Don Nelson, from what I've heard, had a good relationship with Luca, but Rick Carlisle did not have a good relationship with Luca, apparently. So that one's more understandable, but the Don Nelson one is the one that is very confusing. And if it is true that cuban is picking vulgaris over him yeah that's that's kang's man <laughs> that's really <laughs> kang's 
surrounds himself with the surrounds himself Mark Cuban in this case with players from the good old days as advisors. Now, of course, Jason Kidd, 2011 uh, champion. They're bringing back Dirk, and I believe they're bringing back Jason Terry. I think as an assistant or something, some kind of role. <laughs> There's that. Uh, hires a friend of said advisors to be head coach despite a bad track record of mistreating women and being a bad basketball coach. Now, we are unfortunately uh, referring to I th- who was oh, Isaiah Thomas, I think, was like behind was a guy that Vec apparently listened to um, at one point. And uh, Isaiah Thomas had a pretty ugly lawsuit that happened with uh, MSG when he was, uh, I think, president mm-hmm. of uh, the New York Knicks. Mm hmm. And yeah. uh, another one hires a coach before a GM. So I forgot who. So they hired Nico Harrison, who's an apparently a Nike executive. That, that's your GM now. <laughs> okay. Apparently, and apparently they also hired Jason Kidd before the GM. Now, how you usually want to do it is that you want to get the GM, and then you have the GM hire the coach, not the other way around. So we'll see how that relationship works out. Uh, hires a GM with zero front office experience. Okay, sorry for interrupting. No, I I, I was just gonna say that I I can't wait for this dumpster fire. But you know maybe I'm overdigging it. Maybe somehow this will work out. But yeah, <laughs> I I kind of want to see what happens in the off season and potentially next season. How this team is uh you know building up. Look, if Luka Doncic is gonna be the best player in the league. He's got to be able to fight through this adversity like LeBron did with Cleveland. <laughs> like here, here's the thing about like great players, they can they can hide these issues. The issue, the, the, however, in long term, they can't they can't do that long term, mm-hmm. but they can like for a short period of time hide all these issues. Like all all of LeBron's years in Cleveland, they were a tire fire behind the scenes. Because LeBron is arguably the second greatest player of all time, they they were able to hide those things for a number of years until it completely blew up in their face. And they've ne- honestly, they've actually never been relevant outside of LeBron. They're like maybe a few years with Mark Price and those guys, but that's about it. And yeah, if if you know if Luca is truly you know truly the great the best player of this generation, this next generation, he's got to be able to fight through that. Unfortunately for him. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to see. And the last characteristic is filled out staff with other players from the good old days, despite no prior experience. We just mentioned Jason. Ter- I, I'm pretty sure they mentioned Jason Terry and Dirk Nowitzki. Oh. Dirk has no experience in any form of role, and I think he's an ambassador. What I, I'm shrugging okay. like it, it's like a role that's not really a role. That's just. Yeah, he's just there. <laughs> Although I, I do think Dirk will be okay. I don't think like he seems like a good guy and seems. I, well, I don't know about his basketball credentials, like in terms of like in a front office, but it might be able to work. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you know, might as well just bring back all the two, uh, 2011 uh, finals team. You know, back into hey, hey Pedro <laughs> was a shooting coach uh, with the Kings. You can bring him to the Mavs and teach. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein how to shoot because he was doing that with the Kings. So, I mean, he's he's gonna go. need he's gonna need more than a shooting coach, I think. 
Uh, so I, I thought that was just funny, a fall from grace for, for the for the Mavs. Although I do think they'll be fine just because they have Luka. And again, as I said, great players can hide, can overcome these issues. Better for worse. Long term wise, it's a yeah, they might they might have be on a short leash. Like like it's a ticking time bomb and you know, God forbid, like Luga can demand a trade. So there's that. Mm. Uh but talk about a fall from grace. Uh yeah, Portland. Talk about a t- talk about a tire fire. Few mo- like a few months ago, if you told me that Dame was gonna be di- probably done with Portland, I would have called you crazy. <laughs> but that's exactly where they're at right now. So basically after the after they lost in the, the first round to the Jamalis Murrayless uh Murrayless Nuggets, like they just completely. Uh, well, Dame sh- puts out a cryptic tw- uh, Instagram story where he's basically say, saying something along the lines of, like, I've given it all to my city, and sometimes it's time to. I, I forgot the exact, but it, it's insinuating that he might be done with Portland. And it's only kind of gotten weirder since because they. They were gonna hire, so they um, they t- fired Terry Stotch, which I think is a bullshit firing, and they they lead a coaching search. And weirdly enough, Dame puts out like two names: Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd. And as, as we mentioned, with Jason Kidd's you know bad history, you know being a pretty bad coach and his domestic violence stuff, which did not go over well with the internet. And then Chauncey, who I. Did not know about this, but has a sexual assault allegation that was settled in court. Um, I think I think in 1997. So basically, he he picks out these two guys and he kind of gets trashed by the internet. And apparently that kind of that kind of hurt him a little bit. And now, with how the Portland Trailblazers have kind of handled the coaching search. Like it seems to have only gotten worse because apparently they did not really. Con- so, Neil O'Shea, the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, said that they had a very tight knit communication with Dame. Like they, they were walking him, they were basically v- involving him a lot during the coaching search. But if you hear Dame tell it, or a report that came out from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, basically saying that Dame felt that he never was that involved in the coaching search. So a lot of contradictions. You can choose who you want to believe. The bottom bottom line is it looks like it, the situation is not looking good in Blazers right now. Mm. Yeah, again, like I said, we'll, we'll have to see what Chauncey does. But, you know, does he have coaching experience? I, so I don't he, even remember. Oh, he was oh. an assistant coach, I think, with the Ty Lu this year, I think. Oh, this year, and that's mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. An assistant coach, huh? Eh, from Taiwan and oh, the Clippers. Eh. I think it's still too quick. <laughs> I think he needs a little more experience if it's only just that. And uh, yeah, going back to Dame not having a say in what coach uh, he would have preferred. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would. Uh, you know give him a or uh yeah give him a listen and say you know you know give the coach that he kind of wants in this team if uh you know the previous coach wasn't uh gonna work out 
So, I mean, he again, as, I'm, as I said, he did list Jason Kidd, but Jason Kidd actually withdrew from the search, weirdly. Mm-hmm. The Blazers, yeah. it was it was weird. It, it, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen uh, to them. And, yeah, it's again, it's just crazy to me that it's like everyone, it, like Dame was the one guy that, other than Steph, that I was for sure like, oh, they're going to stay with their team for the rest of their career. That just comes tumbling down in like in in a matter of about a week, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just seems like Steph is the only is going to be the last man standing in this one because I really cannot see him wanting out of the Warriors. They would have to really fuck up something. No, yeah, they definitely would have to. But, and uh, uh, and also, uh, just uh, since we were talking about Davion Mitchell. They don't actually, Portland actually doesn't have their pick this year, so they actually can't do it. I just thought it would have been so funny if they were the ones that ended up with Davion Mitchell because I have criticized them about their obsession with small guards. And what better than having three small guards is to have four small guards, or probably three if team is actually going to be gone. So <laughs> I just, it was either them or Cleveland draft Davion Mitchell, because again, what's wrong with having two small guards when you can have three? And, and yeah. one of them finally plays defense. Oh, dear God. Well, we'll have to see about that. But, you know, this this is the year of the, the wing, so you might as well get a wing. I don't know. I mean, I I am really starting to like absolutely despise Neil O'Shea, the the general manager. Again, the obsession with small guards and the the way he's handled this coaching search, not like completely just blowing off any questions about uh, Chauncey Billis's sexual assault case. And uh, during their uh, introductory press conference, um. Chauncey Billups like actually was asked a question about the sexual assault case and he was actually ready to answer until Neil O'Shea kind of gave like a gave like a signal to the PR person that and basically ordered her to basically blow off that question. The entire way he's handled this entire situation has been god awful. And yeah, I just I it sucks that Terry Stotts was fired when your dumbass GM can't put together a competent modern lineup where wings are king and he's obsessed with keeping Anthony Simons on the team. Like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. Another team to watch out for for the dumpster fire. Do you think Dame stays in Portland? It just from your uh, gut feeling? I don't... No, I don't think so. <laughs> really? You don't think he's staying? Oh, I, man. I, I would like for him to stay, but as a player, I think I think he needs to change the scenery for once. What if I tell you he's he's got four years left on his contract? I think four he does. Years. I think Ooh. he does. By the way, so does at he least three. three, at least three. So mm-hmm. yeah, probably then. Man, I... then... okay. So like, let's just say if he, well. Let's just say he was to get traded. How many draft picks do you think he goes for? Oh, gosh. Who even has enough draft picks? Yeah, you might need two teams. You might need a three-team <laughs> trade just for the draft picks. Like, it's like, I mean, Harden went for four. Drew Holiday went for, th- was it, five? Which was fucking insanity. Like, and Dame is better than Drew Holiday. 
Like, you, mm-hmm. you got to start with six, right? Oh, man. I, I, don't, I don't even think OKC has enough draft picks to get him alone. Oh, no, no, they, no they, got the, they got enough draft picks. I don't think they're going to get it, take him to OKC. No. Because, you know, I think they have to keep Shea on that team, and you're gutting that team. Oh, granted, there, there's literally nothing there, but... Anyways, yeah, yeah, they have enough draft picks, but I, mm. I mean, how many you got? Like the starting point's got to be at least six, I think. Uh, yeah. Hell, they, hell, they might honest. need to team up with New Orleans, like for all those picks, like that. So however many picks they have combined, because New Orleans has a lot of picks right now too. <sighs> Where you if? What do you think he's going to end up if uh, that's the case, if there's a multi-team uh, trade for him? Uh, so from what I, I've heard, so a few trade proposals, New Orleans makes New Orleans makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. find a way to keep pair him with Zion. Like, just say, all right, so I have I have Brandon Ingram. I have Josh Hart. I have Lonzo Ball. I have Kira Lewis. I have Jackson Hayes. Go go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can pick all of them. I don't care. And hey, here are all my draft picks. Take your pick. That'd be... And that that's how that's where it's got to start. Mm, yeah, that'd be pretty interesting having Damon New Orleans. That'd Hilariously be... enough, I think that's what they said with the Anthony Davis trade. Probably like the Lakers are just like here here's here's all these guys. Go go, <laughs> just give us Anthony <laughs> Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if if he does end up with New Orleans, I I think yeah for sure top four next season if that's the case. I do not want him to end up with the Knicks. Oh gosh. <laughs> so uh, the, on the video that I watched for these trade proposals, the the guy who suggested the Knicks started with Obi Toppin, I would hang up right there. If you said <laughs> Obi Toppin is where you start. <laughs> I'm like I'm saying R.J. Barrett to start, and however many draft picks you want to go into the future. Okay, you might need yeah. to go into 2040. <laughs> you might need to go into 2040. <laughs> How many draft picks you gotta you gotta ask for Dane? Man, if it if it all flaws, man, that that Knicks organization is gonna <laughs> look grim for years to come. I just do not want him to end up with the Knicks. I How insufferable they got with just Julius Randle. Who fucking shot, I think, 30% in the playoffs. Like, that's, like, they got that cocky with Julius Randle as their best player. Like, can you imagine if Dame was there? Oh, my God. And can you imagine if, um, if what's his, if what's the, what's his name? Kyrie and KD actually went to New York? Or they did, they are in New York, but, like, they went to the Knicks? Oh my God. They, they would request a trade immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What I mean is, like, the fans, how cocky they would be. Oh, no. Like, these fuckers were actually bragging about having to pay thousands of dollars for, honestly, I think pretty shitty pretty shitty seats to go to Madison Square Garden instead of paying, you know, discount prices for the Nets. Like, that's the level of just cockiness that was filling this team before they got destroyed by Trey Young, who just laughed in your face. Entire way, like, oh man, no, I do not want to see Dame in New York, mm. anywhere but New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that that's it. That's it for my rant on that. But uh, um, quickly, I, I do want to give an ode to the Western Conference loot or the Conference Finals losers. I want to give credit to the Clippers. 
I want to give an I want to give you know shout out to Reggie Reggie Jackson. Like where the hell did this guy come from? And PG, I don't think Pandemic P is fully gone. Like he he had some really bad moments during that series, but like the fact that he, the man played like at over forty minutes basically each game because Kawhi wasn't available, and to have to play defense and be the be the driving force of of the offense, you got to give credit to PG. Like he he brought it as much as he could, and you know it just sucks that they just ran out of gas towards the end and. Again, Reggie Jackson. Where the hell did Reggie Jackson come from? Yeah, that that man deserves a contract, whether or not it's from the Clippers or elsewhere, to be honest. The beginning of the playoffs, I was like saying Reggie Jackson is the is the Clippers version of Andre Drummond. Oh, Hilariously boy. enough, they're both they both played in Detroit together. So <laughs> like because it was because he he still does he still does it like even in the good Reggie games like he still does these weird own headed just weird plays that just what are you doing type things mm-hmm. but like he can't I mean he was you know torching Rudy Gobert in game six and like he this guy you know is out there hitting like threes like with a hand in his face step back threes. This man, like, yeah, he's made himself a lot of money and like a great redemption story for Reggie Jackson and PG, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see how the Clippers end up next season because I don't know. Do you think this team will uh, stay the same? I, I doubt it. I think I think it stays the same. I I don't see Kawhi leaving is the thing. Like, mm-hmm. I know te- I know technically he can opt out and go anywhere he wants. I don't see him leaving. Mm, I see. And uh, before we just move on to the to the Hawks and me talking about Trey Young, like Chris Paul continues to be very unlikable. Dude just does things to piss people off, and to a certain degree, I kind of like it, but he does it in a way that's just annoying. Like him, someone there was. Did you see the play where like he tried to draw this foul on Patrick Beverly, and he ends and Chris Paul ends up like basically horizontal and falls flat on his back. Did you see that play? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so someone someone said it looked like he was trying to do the people's elbow on uh on Patrick Beverly, but like just shit like that and constantly trying to rile up DeMarcus Cousins, you know, the you know, Sacramento's DeMarcus Cousins. Like it's I mean, part of me almost wanted to see <laughs> Boogie just put it put like a mean elbow to his face, like legitimately elbow him instead of him flopping all the damn time. Like <laughs> He, I mean, he continues to be unlikable, but you can't deny the <clears throat> his his genius on the basketball court. But he has he's done enough to the point where I am actually actively rooting against the Suns in, in the play in, really? in the finals now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll get to the Bucks versus Suns in a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for him to do all this stuff, I mean. He's kind of at that age, in my opinion, to like he's pretty desperate to get to the uh, both Western Conference Finals and to the finals. I mean, really, when was the last time he's ever been that close or this close? I mean, it's got I mean, you, you always got to, you know, bring bring up that like 2018 in the Rockets. He doesn't pull his hamstring. They probably win that series against the Warriors. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the closest they've ever been. And. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, he he deserves it. He like you cannot deny the his, his genius on the basketball court. 
I just wish he would just shy away from this bullshit that he does. Mm-hmm. You know, just for like he's just being annoying and honestly dirty for the sake of being annoying and dirty. It's, mm-hmm. There's no basketball reason for it. He's just there to just annoy people. And, you know, credit to him. He, he, he's earned it. I just he's gotten he somehow got me to root against him again, even though I was very, very much rooting for him to beat the Lakers and, you know, for them to make the finals. But now Suns fans have gotten a bit insufferable and uh, he's he's gotten insufferable again. <laughs> or he's always been insufferable. It's just, I guess I notice it more now again. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, moving on to the Hawks and the Bucks. The Bucks. I don't want to say got lucky with. I mean, like, man, Giannis coming back game two was insane. Like he went up for that dunk, for the alley oop dunk, and I, I like clinched my fist because I thought he was gonna like, you know, injure his knee, but he is somehow fine, which is incredible. Because that was a gnarly injury. In the, I think it was a game four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Yeah. After seeing that, I was like, man, this, this, this could be career ending for sure. <laughs> like, I, I want to see Giannis to his full potential, but seeing that man, yeah, I want. I didn't want to for his career to end there. But luckily, he's fine, and he's played. He's he was he played well last night. I thought, at least from what I saw, I did miss the third quarter where the the lead turned to twenty for the Suns. So, but it's like from what I saw, I thought Giannis played well. He was bullying dudes. Mm-hmm. It was pretty incredible. But the, the main reason for the segment, I want to just give all the credit in the world to Trey Young. Trey Young went into New York as the villain. People were making fun of his hairline, making fun of him balding at the, what, age 21 or 22. <laughs> and he just looked back and just smiled at them because he knew these dudes were idiots. And then he hits the game winner in game one and tells them to shh. And then in game five, he hits the, he hits the 30-footer to basically seal the game and bows to the crowd. The only way that could have been even more perfect is, he, is if he showed up to, to the Knicks, to the MSG with a sell the team shirt to, to piss off James Dolan. That's the only <laughs> way it could have been any better. And then he goes into Philly. Again, just lights up Philly. Like, they had no answer for him, and because, and because of him, you know, Philly is basically ready to execute Ben Simmons if he's somehow still on the team at the start of training camp. And, yeah, and he, he basically was close to honestly beating the Bucks. Like, that's how, like, I've always criticized that trade for him and Luca, And it's gotten to the point where, like, I'm saying, like, you know, maybe that wasn't that wasn't the worst thing in the world because Cam Reddish is good. Mm-hmm. Cam Reddish yeah. is good. And Trey Young is not honestly not that far behind Luca. But although I think I ultimately think like Hawks probably would be better with Luca, But Trey is absolutely amazing. And he is a he is a bona fide superstar. <sighs> oh yeah. And Marvin, you are nowhere near as good as Trey Young. Get get that shit out of your head. I'm sorry. <laughs> he yeah. can score fifty. You ain't scoring shit. So. Hey, so... I, I mean, I I dig. I see why Marvin is so pissed about this now. <laughs> but but yeah, Trey Young was absolutely amazing this playoffs, and he deserves all the credit in the world. He it was just transcendent level passing. I've never seen. I don't think I've seen anyone zip passes like by, like into the paint 
to their big men since Magic Johnson. I don't. I'm not even sure LeBron does does things like that. Like to be able to throw from the three point line the way he does, and just be able to like you know attack the rim and just slip that pass through to the roller, like it, and throw lobs the way he does. Transcendent is what I is what I call him. Yeah, I actually really wish the Hawks won this series, to be honest. But uh, I don't think so. I thought they would have been destroyed by the Suns. I thought there would have been no chance. At least I feel the Bucks have a chance. Although, we'll get to it in a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay, well, so finally, it's the NBA Finals. It's Bucks versus Suns. You know, two teams that have never been... Well, they've been in the final. No, uh, Bucks have won, won a title in... I won a title in 71, I think, um, yeah, with yeah, Kareem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Suns have never won it. And this is actually the first time since Charles Barkley that they were back, that they're back in the finals. So two teams that basically are not household names, quote unquote, small market teams. Although I argue that Phoenix isn't a small market, but you know, you know, it's a it's a nice change of I guess it's a nice change to have like two small market teams instead of like two well-known established teams going head to head instead is two brand new teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this series is kind of even, and it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I actually like going into it. I actually didn't know who, who was, although I leaned more sons, like it, it was, it is legitimately interesting and it's very unpredictable who, who I think is actually going to win the series. Yeah, well, we'll have to see by the end of this finals. But uh, to be honest, between the two, as much as I like Giannis, I I like I would like the Suns to win. To be honest, and as I mentioned, I don't want the Suns to win because Chris Paul has made me hate the Suns again. So uh-huh. I I mean I I can't disagree with you. I want the Bucks to be able to. I want the Bucks to win this one. I just can't do it. It's they're painful to watch. Like the like, if you just look at them on paper, they have pro- they have the they have the more like p- more talented team. Yet for some reason, they just don't play like it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's actually very their offense is actually very reminiscent of the Kings' offense, where it's one screen and then someone tries to score. It's a very simple kind of offense, and they do not know how to attack weaknesses. Watching these games, you clearly tell Monty Williams is a good coach. He actually like has his t- players attacking weaknesses, running coherent offense, and just being able to, you know, and on defense, like they're, you know, they're on a string, just perfect communication, perfect rotations on most possessions. They are a well-coached team. You look at the Bucks. I don't know what the fuck they're doing on offense. <laughs> and their defense is hit or miss to say the least, even though, again, the talent is there. I just don't know what in the hell is going on on that bench and someone even brought the someone asked the question can you fire a coach in the middle of a series oh <laughs> chances uh. are probably no but <laughs> like it, it's getting it's getting that bad and you know i guess uh the, i guess the question is i mean you already gave your answer you want the suns to win right yes i want the bucks to win but it is painful i'm gonna pick the bucks but man it, it, i don't like this pick and i think like yeah, I think the Suns are probably winning in five or six. I mean, I'm yeah. gonna root for the Bucks. Yeah, you you, you never know. Well, I mean, Bucks could somehow find their way back into the offense. But yeah, watching that first game, uh, especially the highlights and whatnot, 
man, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty one-dimensional <laughs> in terms of their offense. And with the hobble Giannis, they can't really do that shit anymore. Not that it, not that it really worked before. <laughs> Are you but, eating? <laughs> yeah, I was eating something. Sorry. Yeah, it's not like it's not like it was like that efficient before, but like they gotta they gotta get a little bit more creative and honestly get Brooke Lopez the ball more down low because like he's ha- he has munchkins on him a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta be able to find him. Yeah, yeah, he's had some good uh like shots into the paint. Uh, yeah, when it does come uh down to that, but man, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They they like to uh, shoot a lot of threes or especially. Chris Milton, which he has hit uh, a decent amount in the first half, just wasn't enough. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay, so I just opened up the box score. Uh, it is halftime right now, and Phoenix leads by 11. Um, uh, oh, 11? Gee, already? 11. And um, one guy that really needs to step up, I don't know what the hell's going on with him. What the hell, Jirali? <laughs> You're 3 for 14. Oh, Ow. Yeah, what are you doing? He's so much better than this. I don't know what's going on. Chris Middleton is two for ten. That's not great either, but like he's all over the place all the time. I don't know what's oh. wrong with him. And yeah, it's, you can't rely on Giannis in this series just because he, you know, he's hobbled. Like I can't hate on him for not playing well, even though he is. He's five for ten right now. Like, just, I mean, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday got to step up. <sighs> Man. That that kind of reminds me of the first half of game one, where I think there was like two different possessions from the Bucks where they try making a way up, it just rims out. They get the they rebound. missed a lot of they missed a lot of layups. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they missed too many. Like it could have been a pretty close game, but no, 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 man. I I was like. Man, this is not <laughs> this is not funny. <laughs> this is the finals, and the, uh, when you watch the Suns, man, they have yeah, very smooth, coherent offense, which is real nice to see for a finals game. And yeah, I mean, it helps to have a guy like Chris Paul, but like Monty is a legitimately good coach, and it sucks that we he we could have hired him. Apparently, he was our second choice. And before you know, Walton just said, "Yeah, I'll come to Sacramento." And yeah, it, it sucks that you know we missed our missed the boat on that one. But yeah, like all the credit in the world to you know Monty Williams, all the credit in the world for Chris Paul, like for able to transform this team. And you know DeAndre Ayton, he's been good. And you know you get you can't leave out Devin Booker and, and the other role players. Like mm-hmm. yeah, they I mean if they win this championship, they deserve it. Like they oh, yeah. they are the better they are the better team. Like the Bucks, at least put up a damn fight. You have the talent to do it. Yeah, well, either way, former Kings player Langston Galway will get a ring, and if the Bucks win, former Kings player Justin Jackson will get the ring. And also, you know, who, you know, should have been King Dante Divincenzo, although he's not, although he's injured, so and he's not playing, but he should make or break your team. I'm sorry. And also, uh, just to quickly talk, uh, quickly mention it, uh, Dario Saric does have a torn ACL, so he, he's Ooh, out yeah. for the rest of the series, which sucks. That was a weird, it was weird how he got injured, too, and it's yeah. really unfortunate. It, it, to me, it seemed like a pretty safe landing, and, you know, he, he just all of a sudden tore it. <laughs> yeah. Which is but, always scary, like, seriously. Yeah. 
yeah, I hope for the best for him because I, I, I mean, he's he's a great role player for them. And without him, they actually lose a lot of depth at the center position because uh, I hope you guys like Frank Kaminsky, <laughs> although he hasn't played yet. Oh man, nope. they're just playing small. Okay, yeah, they're I mean, just playing small. I mean, they're doing pretty well playing small so far. And we shall see. I mean, they're hitting a lot of threes. We'll see if that maintains. Jay Crowder, talk about the biggest feast or famine guy. Three for four from three. He's so confusing to me. He's not a good shooter, yet for some reason when I watch the game, he's the most dangerous guy out there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, last game was not, not a great game for him. Yeah, I think he had zero points. But, you know, they won, so it's fine. But, you know, like, yeah, he's He's had he's had the weirdest like career arc I think like mm-hmm. it's like last year exploding in the bubble and like this year being a good shooter but th- you look at the years before 29% from three or, though that was in Memphis it was a half season 33% 31% 32% th- and then for some reason 40% <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the most confusing players in my opinion it's just yeah um. Again, uh, hopefully the Milwaukee can come back for my sake and for your sake. It looks like you're you're on the way to getting this prediction correct. So, yeah, we shall see how this uh, NBA Finals plays out. And uh, yeah, um, hopefully good good news and comes out of the Kings' camp. And uh, hopefully we're able to make a big move uh, at some point. And uh, before we get into you know the draft and the full off season. Oh uh, yeah, well. We'll get back to you guys with, uh, let's see, a couple more players that we think uh, we should draft. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what Monty does. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, uh, send us, shoot us an email or leave us a voice message. Um, I already forgot the email, to be honest. I always forget it. I got I got the email for you. It is kingstherapypod at gmail.com. Exactly how, how it's spelled. Kings with a S and therapy pod at gmail.com all one word and yeah email us your questions and maybe we'll answer it at some point <laughs> um when we compile a big enough mailbag and if it's still relevant uh yeah so yeah get, um, give us your questions and for next episode I, I one of the guys definitely we're going to do is james Booknight. i'm still debating on who the second guy will be i'm thinking usman usman garuba usman garuba but We'll, we'll see. Um, there there are um, a few candidates that I think would be very good for the Kings. And, you know, if the Kings ever do want to trade up, like there there's apparently some talk about the Pistons maybe want to move away from the first pick, which would be really oh. fucking stupid. be really fucking stupid, in my opinion. So but okay. <laughs> there is that possibility out there. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the Kings would even trade for that. If, if they're stupid enough to actually do that, like. Man, what the fuck is what the fuck are the Pistons doing? Ugh. I I hope it's a publicity stunt, but <laughs> yeah. What what would what would you think we would trade for that pick? I think it would have to include Tyrese or even. even... It, it would have to start with Tyrese. Uh, yeah, it would have to start there. Yeah, Tyrese knife and you know what? Throwing Bagley. <laughs> yeah, throwing Bagley, him, right? Barnes. Yeah, Barnes, buddy, like. Take your pick. <laughs> take your pick. I'll take it. Yeah, anyone but Fox, in my opinion. Oh, you know, part uh, this this will be controversial. Like you might want to, I might even think about even reversing that. Ooh. Like, have Fox and maybe keep Halliburton even. Like I'm Ooh. willing to go that far for um 
or Cunningham. Ooh, that's that's pretty hot, pretty spicy yeah. take. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll come with you uh, at the next episode again. Uh, James Booknight will definitely be one of them. Uh, as for the other guys, I'll figure something out. Maybe Giddy or something. Although I'm not high on those guys, so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of picks, and there's a lot of, a lot of guys that can be potential, uh, you know, future stars here. So we'll have to see. Okay, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Yeah, we'll see you guys later.